Hello, and welcome into another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. It is the October 18th edition of the podcast, brought to you, as always, by Arrowhead Live. It is a victory Monday here in Kansas City, and joining me, as always, is my partner in crime, Christian Ainsworth. Christian, how did you do during that Chiefs game? Very, very up and down. And that seems to be a trend with this season, up and down highs, some of the highest highs you can feel and some of the lowest lows. So what about you? Did you uh, did you enjoy the game? Well, I think that I think that this game might be the best example of what true recency bias is. Remember, recency bias, in case you can't figure out what that is, it's the thing that happened the most recently clouds your judgment or makes you bias against something. I, in my opinion, this game had the Chiefs at the bottom, the lowest that they have ever been at, not the lowest they've ever been, period, but the lowest they have been, rock bottom for this team, this 2021 Chiefs, in this game. I, I And it was even worse, like at halftime, we were all melting down. And it got worse after halftime. Because I, I think we kind of forget a little bit, with eight minutes to go in the third quarter, the Washington football team lined up to attempt a field goal, a 42-yard field goal, which they missed. From then on, this game was all Chiefs. But, you know, they go into halftime, a brutal, brutal performance in the first half. They were turning the ball over. They looked sloppy. The offense was having miscues. The defense had just given up another signature wide-open touchdown. And you, you were frustrated with a lot of things. But you also remembered that, okay, well, they get the ball after half. They come out, put seven on the board. They've got the lead. You start feeling good about things. And then they come out and basically go three and out and punt the ball. And Tommy Townshank punted the ball 24 yards. And they've got it in good field position and are lining up to attempt a field goal. And if it wasn't for good old Riverboat Ron, who for some reason still has that name, who like basically handed the Chiefs the game by kicking three field goals, even though the broadcast quoted him several times and saying, you can't beat the Chiefs by going for field goals. Um, more or less, that game was going about as bad as it could have. I mean, sure, we've seen worse halves from the Chiefs. You know, the 24 nothing against the Texans comes to mind, of course. But, I mean, man, there was – there was it was truly – and, I mean, I know I'm not the only one. Someone tried to come after me on Twitter and say – Oh, you know, why are you, why are you changing your tune now? You tweeted out that they were a bad team in the first half. And I'm like, I mean, at what time, how much more information did you need at that point? They were in the third quarter and getting a lot of trouble with the Washington football team. The chiefs were playing like a bad football team and haven't really played like a good football team all year. And yes, I do mean that. Yeah. And one of my biggest takeaways from this game, and you brought it up a little bit with the recency bias This kind of goes along with it. I think that if you watch this game, your reaction defines your expectations of this team. If you came in and at the end of the game, you're like, the Chiefs are elite. The defense finally put it all together. Uh, This had nothing to do with anything other than putting Juan Thornhill and Willie Gay playing. So like putting them in the game. I think that. how, How do I even want to phrase it? Because it's not really about the players that were on the field it was about the team we were facing and the huge change that we saw in the second half which isn't even so much about our defense like going back through the stats let me see here they were running 
they had 62 yards of rushing in the first half and were averaging five yards a carry. Why wouldn't you run the ball anymore? Like the Chiefs beat the Washington football team, almost use the other name for him. Was they 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 beat them like they did in 2018, where they forget that Mahomes can throw bombs and the offense is just incredible if you let them take the top off and you don't play your game. Like, I don't know. This this just to me wasn't as big of a victory, moral or otherwise, as other people I feel like thought it was. Well, I think I think part of what you're saying is true. And I think also part of it is, is that we're, we, we just came, it's hard to come up from such a big low that they had in the first half. Here's the thing that's been the most frustrating about the chiefs. It's never felt like they are a bad football team in the sense of the talent on the field. They've always had the talent. We even, I mean, we talked about that here last week that the chiefs had pretty much all the answers to the problems that they that they had, they just weren't going for the solutions. And that was the frustrating part. And that was what was frustrating about the first half of that game and into the third quarter is that the Chiefs just weren't doing the things that they needed to. I mean, I don't know about you, but some of the things that were starting to run through my head were not, first off, let's acknowledge what might be one of the worst tweets I've ever seen in my life which is why we always use over the cap here. Um, the Spotrack website, like the big main account, passive aggressively tweeted out Patrick Mahomes, like how much guaranteed money Patrick Mahomes had in his contract and how much longer the Chiefs had on it after he threw that second interception and all the slander was going about him, which is just hilarious, literally hilarious. But like some of the things that I, I wasn't thinking ill of Patrick Mahomes at that time, but I started thinking about, you know, like, Things went south with Andy Reid in Philadelphia. You know, we're starting to get that to that time frame and that level of success with him here. Like, is there something to it? You know, and obviously we're not going to let the last quarter of that game just change every single narrative about the game. There was a lot of things to still be concerned about after this game. And I think for me, one of the most frustrating things is seeing the team struggle with so many things that they've continually struggled with, and it just doesn't seem to really get better. You know, there was still a player wide open. Now, I think that the pass rush did a little bit better. Um, and I think that, you know, if they come back and they do put Chris Jones inside, I think that'll get better. Um, the the pass, the defensive line had 12 pressures. Um, they did not actually get a sack on Heineke, but also that play that Frank Clark, he had him wrapped up. And I think that's such a garbage call that they can't even, they can't even sack the quarterback anymore. They're so aggressive about the roughing the passer. And then Frank Clark took him down about as nice as he could have. And they still let the play stay alive. Super frustrating for him, uh, but they did have, you know, some more pressures. I think that can improve, but man, it, it just felt like the same story all over again. And it's not like, yes, there was the one terrible play from Mahomes, which is easily the worst throw he's ever had. But, man, you just start to wonder, like, is it inside their head? Like, why can they not get out of their own head? Well, there was one key difference, and I'm sure you're going to bring it up in a second, and that's that Daryl Williams was starting at running back. So that, that might be one reason why we won. But first I want to go back to, to what you said about Andy Reid. 
I don't know. I think it might be a little early to say that. I mean, he is a Super Bowl winning coach now. He does have a very good track record of being uh, really good on teams. And, and one of the reasons why he had that falling out at the Eagles was because of some personal matters that I won't get into. And I don't want to say they're the same personal matters that are happening right now, but he is dealing with some things off the field. And I think that that'll take a toll on anybody, especially a guy who's supposed to be essentially running the organization. Don't get it twisted. Brett Veach is a good general manager. Not one of his things, one of his actions go through unless Andy Reid says the okay. So he essentially has everything of the franchise on his plate, coaching, time management, calling the plays. Like he, he does all of that stuff on the field as well. So I, th- I think we need to maybe slow down a little bit on the Andy Reid take. And then going up back to Clark here, that was a really good play. I, I really think that he should have had him down, but he wasn't down. Like I, I just think that kind of sums up Frank Clark's career here in a nutshell. Like, Oh, he, he made a really good play. Oh, but it, you know, it, but it wasn't really that good of a play. Oh, he, he had a really good postseason. Yeah. But the regular season wasn't really that good. Oh, well he's injured. He's coming back. Yeah. But he's not really injured. He's, and he's going to be playing hurt the entire time, which he should be commended for. I'll give him credit for that, but go ahead. Do your Daryl Williams take. I'm ready for it. Hold on. I want to go back to one thing too. And I think that, I think that this matters. Here's the thing. And To be clear, I was not like typing fire Andy or anything like that. And this go back to the Spotrack tweet as well. Here's a good test as to whether you should move on from a player or a coach or a coordinator. If that player gets released or if that coach becomes a free uh, free agent, for lack of a better term, how many teams would be lined up to sign to re-sign him or to, you know, pick him up? If Andy Reid was a free agent coach tomorrow, there'd be 25 teams ready to sign Andy Reid right then and there. Clearly, you want Andy Reid on your team. Now, a counter to that, Andy Reid has a death grip on this organization. There is one person and one person alone that Andy Reid answers to, and that is Clark Hunt, and that's because he cuts the checks. Brett Veach, make no doubt about it, is his boy. He picked him. He won the battle between him and John Dorsey. He had the coaching staff is all Andy Reid guys. Dave Tobe came with him. Several players came with him from Philly. Spagnolo was one of his guys in Philly. This is an Andy Reid led organization. So if or when things do go bad with this organization, his name and fingerprints will be all over it. And I think that it run Andy Reid's control in this organization runs even deeper past him. I will be astonished if one day when Andy Reid retires, that the Chiefs aren't hiring an, an Andy Reid assistant, that, you know, it's not another Andy Reid guy. Like, I think his control of the organization will go um, beyond, beyond him. So, I mean, I guess my point isn't so much that I think it's time to have that conversation because clearly, you know, this is the best run of Chiefs football that we've had in a very, very long time. However, when that conversation is here, He's definitely the first person on the list. Okay. And again, I, I don't know if, well, I guess not again, but I, I wasn't trying to portray you as the fire Andy Reid guy, but, but I am going to hit you with some questions here that I think should really, you know, we can really get a hold of your point here. Is Andy a de- detriment to the team at this point? No, I, I definitely don't think so. First off, 
I think, you know, how important a coach is to a team is very subjective. Um, you know, th there's really only so much that a coach can do. Um, and I do, I do believe that Andy Reid is still one of the sharper offensive minds this year, the Chiefs are doing pretty well in some of the, you know, going for it metri metrics and clock management. And ultimately, I don't think that we get this version of Patrick Mahomes with anyone else other than Andy Reid at the helm. Um, okay. And then, so okay. no, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to cut you off. I don't think he's a detriment at all. Do I think that Andy Reid's having his best season? No. Do I think that there's potential for things to go south with the Andy Reid led Chiefs? Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, it's an organization that's kept a lot of the same guys in it for a long time, a lot of the same players. And this can kind of lead us back to the present Chiefs. Look at how long and how hard we all cried out for someone else besides Dan Sorensen and how long it took the Chiefs to go there. I mean, look at how long it took to get Bob Sutton out of there. It just feels like sometimes when it comes to this coaching staff, they have to be the last people to make a decision. And this is, this is something like, put this in your notebook. Next time you're on Twitter or Facebook, God forbid, and you're having a discussion with someone about a player and Tommy with, you know, his sunglasses and his car picture as a profile picture chimes in and goes, well, they're an NFL coaching staff. I think they know a little bit more than you do. You can retort back no, because literally every human in this city was crying out for anybody but Dan Sorensen playing safety. And they did not do it. Everyone could have told you that. And what do you know? They put Juan Thornhill in, and all of a sudden, he's the 11th graded safety, according to PFF. And the Chiefs hold a team to 13 points and zero points and under 80 yards in the second half. I know that's not all Juan Thornhill, and I know that the, the Washington football basically rolled over and let the Chiefs scratch their belly in the second half there. They kind of, you know, showed who they were. But also, like, dude, go to this Clyde Edward Dallaire pick. How does that pick look right now? Despite my article or anything like that, do you really think that that was the best pick for the Chiefs still? No, I can't imagine anyone thinks that, seeing how it's gone. If, yeah, if Clyde Edward Dallaire was Derrick Henry, we wouldn't be having this discussion, but he's not. And all the needs that the Chiefs have right now, you know, like I, you know, that argument of like, oh, they're an NFL coach. I think they know more than you. Yes, it's true sometimes, for sure. I am not the right person to coach Demarcus Robinson on a wheel route. That's not, that's not me. But just because I'm not the president doesn't mean I don't get to have an opinion about healthcare or okay. whatever, you know, like. But, but hold on, hold on. I want to push back a little bit on this because there are plenty of people that, I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit more in the know than the average NFL, you know, watcher. And I not, I wouldn't have picked Clyde Edwards-Alaire at 32. But the next guy I would have picked, an edge, I believe he was out of, I can't remember if he's out of Miami or not. Anyway, I've saw, I saw his tape. I looked over his stuff. We went through in, in the Arrowhead Live chat, and we talked about how that edge player was going to play really, really well in the NFL. I haven't heard his name been called. Now. Everybody would have told you that Clyde was, shouldn't have been the pick, right? And, and I'm not arguing with that, but I'm also saying that there were some people that said, why are you trading, uh, now I can't even think of his name, Smith, our quarterback from a few years ago, to start this essentially sophomore season quarterback who has proved nothing on the football field besides one Denver game where he threw a left-handed pass. I mean, like, there, there are plenty of people that would have told you that, that trading Alex Smith was 
would have been a detriment to the team. Now, granted, completely wrong. There are people that would have told you hiring Steve Spagnolo to coach the defense was a bad idea. I was one of those people too. So there are, there are plenty of guesses, which is essentially what it is at this point. I mean, like, all I'm saying is, is I do trust Andy Reid to make the right decision on, on personnel, seeing attributes that he sees, whether they're, you know, physical attributes or just the mental toughness, stuff like that. I trust him because he has been in the NFL for however long, even when he was in green Bay, however many years ago, he has seen the talent. He knows what to look for when he sees these players. I'm not saying they can't be wrong, but I can't say also that that everybody was right because they thought Juan Thornhill should have started over Dan Sorensen. They made that opinion on no facts at all. You don't, you, nobody was in the meeting rooms. Nobody saw him on the practice field. We had an idea. And they watched the entire, that it turned out to be the entire 2019 season where he was all rookie and looked good and played valuable snaps. And yeah, just, but we didn't, Oh, go ahead. And go just, ahead. and I mean, just, I mean, here's the thing when the answer when the question is, well, yeah, but who else? Whenever the answer becomes anybody else, it's time to make a change. And that's what it was with Dan Swanson. You're, I, I understand your point that the evidence based on Juan Thornhill wasn't there, and, and that was completely possible. I think, I think the, the distinction that you're making right now is the difference between Dan Swanson and anybody else or Juan Thornhill is the solution because they're not quite the same argument. And yes, I there were some people who were so sure it was Juan Thornhill. I wasn't sure. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, you know, Mina Kimes tweeted out last year, or last week, when um, Dan Thornton was having all those problems, that all those big plays happened when Juan Thornhill was on, on the field. You know? Um, yeah. So well, and- I... I, I think that there's a, a little confirmation bias happening here and we can stop splitting hairs at this point, but I do like, like I said, there, nothing is ever black and white, you know, everything is a shade of gray and 100% there is something to the fact that whenever so many people are calling for a player to be benched or for the chiefs to make a move and then they make the move and it instantly has success. And this goes to like, Nick Bolton playing as well, more over Anthony Hitchens um, in that role. I know injury kind of forced their hand a little bit there, but I think that just the dismissive of like, oh, well, you know, you know, they know more than you. Sure, they know more than us, but sometimes they're too close to the forest to see the trees. Okay, and that is that is an excellent point. But I, I will also say just we can wrap this up with this comment right here. There's really no, I mean, there's a reason that they don't let NFL players bet on the games because they're so close to the games that they know, and they have an influence on the game. Just because you bet that the chiefs were going to win against the Washington football team. And I don't know, Chris Jones bet that the chiefs would win or that they would lose that there's not, you, you're not smarter than Chris Jones. Chris Jones had more information than you did and made the wrong call, which is, is a whole lot different. I, I just don't want to get caught up in, oh, the fans are smarter than the coaches. The coaches are obviously smarter, but the fans can be right too. Yeah, yeah. I, and like I said, I think we're 98% the same place and just arguing about the last 2%, which is all right. Um, yeah, so going back to you were alluding a little bit to the Daryl Williams discussion. And, you know, we've had this conversation several times. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I I do not feel like the offense missed Clyde Edwards Alaire at all. Do you? I actually do. And it's not, can I, can I tell you, it's, it's an idea that's grown on me because if you were following me on Twitter, watching what I was tweeting during the game, it was very much on the Daryl Williams train. But as I sat down, I looked into the stats and Daryl did provide some things that Clyde doesn't or can't. It's just, I, I just don't see how Clyde doesn't rush for a hundred yards on those carries. I, I don't. Well, I mean, it's pretty easy. He just gets tackled like there's a massive gap and then he just gets brought down because he doesn't have breakaway speed. There were, to me, there were like three or four plays in there that Darrell Williams had that Clyde's not making. I don't think Clyde scores either one of those touchdowns. And then there was a really key first down catch that he had as well that I don't think that Clyde makes. And I definitely don't think that Clyde makes that play that Jarek McKinnon made that went for a first down either. I well, just... No, and Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. I just don't see, I don't see him making those plays. And here's the thing. This is the difference be, that I want to have with this conversation. There's a difference between Clyde sucks and I don't want him on the team and the Chiefs are just flat out better without him on the field. That's obviously silly because it's depth. If anything, Clyde Edwards Alaire is a change of pace back. But the idea that he needs to be getting the bulk of the carries like a Derrick Henry or something like that is, is silly to me. At this point, Clyde provides you something that you don't have in other players, and that's about it. It's a sunk cost at this point. The Chiefs just need to find value. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that Clyde should be the feature back, and I, I don't want that to be put out there as my perspective either. I think that Clyde does provide some things that Daryl doesn't and that Jarek McKinnon doesn't. I mean, that's – but it's not like – I don't know. The conversation always revolves around your expectations about the player. And we drafted him in the first round. So he should have been the best running back in the draft, right? He was the first running back taken. He, you know, we wasted a first round or we spent a first round pick on it. Sorry. A little Freudian slip there, but we, we did spend some, some draft capital on him and he has not panned out the way that we thought he should. But I do think that he is barrel better than Daryl, the barrel. And I think that, I mean, Daryl, Daryl averaged this year on the opportunistic carries that he's had three yards a carry. And he had 21 carries yesterday for 62 yards. Like that's, that's not great. I, I don't see how you can see that and, and say that Daryl is better in this offense than, than Clyde is even with the receptions. Well, and I, first, I will give you this. I will give you this. Those touchdowns, I agree with you. I don't think Clyde would have got the first one. I think he had a better chance of getting the second one where Daryl basically walked in untouched, but that would have required Clyde to cut back. And that's, I mean, he has done that with some frequency during the season, but you just can't be sure that he would do it on that play with the patience that Daryl had. And part of, and part of the reason, so first off the baseline for why the chiefs are a better offense without Clyde Edwards Delaire doesn't really have to do with Clyde Edwards Delaire play. It has everything to do with them running the ball too much. The best thing that can happen to the Chiefs is Patrick Mahomes throw the ball. That's not rocket science. They already run the ball too much, in my opinion. I know that they need to be able to run the ball effectively, but it's not the same as the amount of times. I still think they ran the ball too much with in this game. Um, and so it, the, the issue starts there with running the ball too much. I feel like they are constantly trying to justify the pick of 
Edwards Alaire by giving him the predominant amount of carries. And I think Clyde has value. I think that you could, your yards per carry argument could even make you feel even stronger if Clyde gets like nine carries a game. Because I think that Clyde has one place that he should be carrying the ball, and that's in between the 20s. 20 to 20, downhill on gap concepts. That's what he's good at. He's clearly like there's enough body of work to say that he is not a factor in the passing game. He has struggled there. He has not done anything to convince me otherwise. I'm not sure if it's his height that he just gets lost in the in the mix or what. But Patrick Mahomes has targeted Edward Del- or Daryl Moore, and McKinnon seems to integrate into the passing game better as well. Um, and I, I think the whole basis of my piece is really that the Chiefs function better when Clyde. Daryl and McKinnon are all getting much more equal timeshare rather than, you know, flat out the Chiefs are a better team without Clyde. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I, I do agree with you. Clyde is not worthless in this offense, but I will disagree with you in saying that we shouldn't be running the football. I think there's an argument to be made that if we were running the football more, Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have made as many mistakes as he had this, this year that goes for that passing off of his back leg while he's getting torn down by two defenders. Like there are plenty of reasons why Patrick Mahomes has made this and they nullify. If you have a running game with a running back, like this is, I really hate comparing him to people in his draft class, Jonathan Taylor. If if you, let me tell you something. If Jonathan Taylor was our running back or Ezekiel Elliott, or I don't know, Derek Henry, I'll just throw all of the big name running backs out there you would not see light boxes. You wouldn't because if Derrick Henry gets the ball or even Ezekiel Elliott, Jonathan Taylor gets the ball, they are going for 10 every single time, every time with this offensive line. And and that has to do with their speed, their size. There's a difference between Clyde hitting you and Jonathan Taylor running into you, or even worse, Derrick Henry running into you and running over you for four more yards. There's a reason that you have prototypical backs in this offense, especially. And that's so that they can help you out with those light boxes. Patrick Mahomes makes more mistakes when he throws into light boxes. You're you're contradicting yourself in this way. You you proved my point for me. The fact that that teams continually line up in light boxes against the Chiefs just says they don't care. They don't care that Clyde Edwards-Alaire gets to run four yards a carry because they're not afraid of him. They don't fear him. They're not afraid of Daryl either. And that's, that's also my point is that it doesn't matter if Daryl's back there or Jarek McKinnon is back there or Clyde is back there. It, they, they all serve a different purpose in this offense. Daryl's a better, he's better in the passing game, which is what the chiefs like to do. Clyde is a better runner. I think you're confusing my dislike for Clyde Edwards Alaire as my love for Daryl Williams. Cause they're not exactly the same thing. My, my argument isn't you, that Clyde Edwards, or my argument isn't that Daryl is better than Clyde Edwards Alaire as much as it is this offense runs better when Clyde Edwards Alaire plays less. Because yeah, but then somebody players... else would have to play in his in his place. And I'm saying that nobody on the Chiefs offense can provide what's what's needed. And you also said that we should be throwing the ball more, which I completely disagree with. Well, that is that is somewhere that I can't go with you, but I think we're kind of getting into the weeds here. Let's let's get back a little bit on topic. Um, Probably overall, overall, the Chiefs game, I think that it does matter how they came out in the second half. 
Um, I, like I said, I think, I think that they pretty much hit rock bottom there. Um, yes, the, the football team had to cooperate a little bit for them, but man, the chiefs are such a, they're such a spiritual team. And I don't mean like they light candles and essential oils or something like that, but they are such a spiritual team in the sense that they, when things are going bad, their body language struggles so much. And then when things are going good, they are so up and anti. We've talked about that like in the 24 nothing game against the Titans or the Texans that they got so hyped um, and brought the crowd back into that. I felt like after that, the Chiefs finally decided like, you know what, screw up. We're tired of sitting around here and whining about how the ball bounces. We're going to just make it happen. And you saw Tyreek get really fiery every time he started catching the ball. You saw Kelsey do it. I saw Mahomes get like start kind of big dog and everything he did when he was running. And I mean, that, that really, that I think kind of changed the narrative a little bit and you saw the Chiefs do it. And do I think that it means much going into the Titans game? Uh, probably not a whole lot, but I do think it matters that, you know, they finished strong. They put away a team that needed to be put away. And basically the only thing that stopped the Chiefs in this game were the Chiefs themselves. And I feel like we're going to say it a million times until it's no longer an issue, but if the Chiefs can resolve these turnovers, the defense just has to play a little bit better for this to be a good team. Oh, yeah, and I think that was all kind of sparked by the big stars handling adversity, right? Like Travis Kelsey got banged up in this game, and he still almost got 100 yards. He was injured on three separate occasions, I think, and then came back, still did his thing. Washington was doing everything that they possibly could to stop him, and they couldn't. And same thing with Tyreek Hill. That bounce goes off of his hands. Another interception that's essentially his fault. I mean, Patrick could throw it a little lighter, I guess. But I think if you're an NFL wideout, you need to be able to catch a football thrown by the best quarterback, at least in the league right now. And Tyreek Hill, again, after that, he sits down. Everybody thinks, all right, you know, the cheat is out of the game. He's got a quad injury or whatever, or he's in timeout, which is what I thought originally thought it was. And then he comes back out and he tears it up and he does that weird dance in the, in the end zone after scoring a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes throws an awful interception that every quarterback who has ever played football would come back and say, yeah, I probably should have just went down with that. Like, and then all these guys, adversity has been hitting them in the face every week. You're playing good teams. You're banged up. You're going into teams or you're going into games without some of your best players. And finally, the stars of this team said, you know what? I'm done with that shit. It's, it's time to come in. We need to play well. And I think the resilience that Travis Kelsey showed, Frank Clark even playing through his injuries, he's done that all season. Tyron Matthew playing really well. Rashad Fenton playing like a madman on the outside. Like all of the stars stepped up. And I think that that helped the mentality of the team. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think it shouldn't be lost that the team making some roster moves or some alignment changes really mattered too. Um, I would like to take a small victory lap on the Lucas Nyang front. Uh, people really declared the Lucas Nyang air a success in the preseason and, you know, poo-pooed away the fact that he came into camp overweight. Many people agreed many credible people thought he looked out of shape. He's looked unathletic all season. 
and the Chiefs made a change. And, you know, who knows? This may be a short-term change or a long-term change. I know that someone leaked out the fact that he had a hamstring injury, but he wasn't on the injury report almost the entire week. He was dressed. He played a snap. And then even after the game, and I'm taking him out of context here, but I did listen to the post-game presser. Andy Reid said himself that, yeah, you know, sometimes we've got to have players take a couple weeks off and get out of things and kind of take a step back and watch a little bit to kind of truly learn. So, I mean, to me, this was a, this was a nice benching for Lucas Nyang. And, um, you know, long-term, you definitely would have rather seen Lucas Nyang succeed because it was, you know, having the right tackle answer for a long time. But if they feel that Mike Rumors is going to give him the best chance to succeed, I thought the results were noticeable. I, I really did. I felt that the pocket was there, especially against a strong defensive line. It just seemed like Mahomes just had a little bit more room whereas the, po- the top of the pocket was collapsing a lot. And Orlando Brown Jr., I think, had his best game as a chief. That helped, too. Um, you know, I the thing we as fans need to be – we can't sit here and complain and complain and ask for change and then complain about the change not coming soon enough. You know, it was good that they made the change. There were some really encouraging signs, for sure. Oh, yeah, and, and I'm not against, you know, changing the lineup. First of all, we – before we go any further, we have to shout out Joe Thune, who played with a broken hand and I think allowed one pressure against one of the best defensive lines in the league. So shout out to him. Incredible play. Warrior, another guy who stepped up when we needed him to. Yeah, I, I don't hate Rimmers coming in at right tackle. And, and I know that sounds bad. We, we've got a guy that can start for our team for the next four years and be part of a cohesive offensive line. And, and it would just be so perfect that Brett Veach completely turned around the entire offensive line in one season. I, I don't know. He, he allowed seven pressures in the last game that he played. That's not great. That, that's below average. I mean, yeah. There are, there are plenty of things that he could do better. And I think that even stepping him back, remember this is his first year starting and he has all the pressure on him to come in and be that. I mean, follow up Mitch Schwartz one of the best right tackles in the league for his tenure with the Chiefs. That's a lot to ask of a guy. I think even taking a step back, letting him breathe a little bit, get get in a little better shape. I know that's a touchy subject with linemen. Just get him a a breather. He's a big man. Yeah, and I I think that the Chiefs making the change means something too as far as like they saw that there was something that needed to change. I mean, Lucas Nyang wasn't really grading out well, according to PFF. Um, there were some obvious issues there. And I mean, you know, you mentioned Joe Tooney. I, he had another great game. Um, the interior of the line continues to play extremely well, especially against a strong line and, or a strong defensive line. And, you know, shout out to Tooney for playing with a broken hand. That's, that's really impressive. Um, one last thing I want to touch on just because it's something that's going on a lot. I don't care what you say, and you can let me know your opinion about this. I think Tyron Matthews is a good football player. I think that his deal has been one of the best free agent signings that the Chiefs have had in a long, long time. I think it's one of the best moves that Brett Veach has made. And, you know, ultimately I still think that the best path for the Chiefs to have success is signing him back as long as it's a reasonable deal. But Tyron Matthew is a douchebag on Twitter. 
And I have zero problem saying that. And if he wants to hop on our <laughs> podcast and yell at me, he sure can. I'm sorry, dude. You make millions and millions of dollars. Your children's children are set for life, dude. And you can't handle, and like, here's the one thing. Every player tri- chirps back a little bit occasionally. If it's some big wig like Skip Bayless or something like that, I understand it. Part of it's the game. But whenever it's freaking Tom32 has 33 followers on Twitter, like, come on, dude. Like, seriously, have some, like, have some credibility. Have some tough skin. Like, you are compensated handsomely for your position. You choose to be on Twitter. And then to delete it all is so stupid. Like, grow up, dude. Especially when, like, someone like Josh Briscoe, who is part of what makes Tyron Matthews money for him. These players think that this money just is like sitting in a box granted to them because of their athletic skills. No, we make you the money. Our viewership, our fanhood, all those things. Josh Briscoe is part of what comes fanhood. Podcasts like this help instill fanhood into Chief, into Chiefs fans, therefore making him money. It's just it's just so weird to me, and it's so tired. Like you know what? It, whenever he first joined the Chiefs, if he felt like he had something to prove, dude, it's like year three. Okay, you've won a Super Bowl here. Like, what? Are, who are you convincing? At this point, all you're doing is just making yourself look bad. Okay, this is going to be the most divisive episode we've ever had, so buckle up. But I'm going to disagree with you again. Like, Tyron Matthew, that's been his MO for his entire career. He has the Kobe MJ, I'm going to be an asshole, but guess what? I'm going to be one of the best players on the field because that fuels me. Like, I have no problem of him going off on Twitter on random dudes. Like, do whatever you got to do, bring all that bad attention on yourself, use it to fuel the fire and then come back out. Like you have almost every other Sunday of your entire playing career, even at LSU, he's been like that. So I like it. I want to see more of it. I want to see him coming at people on Twitter. And and then I want to see him play extremely well on Sunday. That's one thing you can't talk shit on Twitter if you don't play well. So as long as he plays well, I think it's all right. I think go ahead, man. Do your thing. Well, up until this week, that was true as well, that he wasn't playing well. All it took was Taylor Heineke and Juan Thornhill playing to finally start helping Tyron Matthew look good. But, I mean, you bring up the mama mentality and stuff like that. I don't ever remember uh, Kobe Bryant tweeting like this on a, on a regular basis many times and deleting it. And the stuff he's saying, it's not like – No, but he, it's, but he it's was not an like, asshole to people. Yeah. Like, but that com- was just his – he was completely- little MJ. Okay, but, like, the difference is, is that, like, they did it in petty stuff, right? Like, they did, like, the shoulder shrug um, that you saw in the last dance or the st- all the stuff that Michael Jordan did. Like, to me, comp- you're con- to me, in my opinion, you're confusing competitiveness with just being a prick. Mahomes is a competitive prick. He counts to 10 off of the thing. He does uh, walking off the field against the Bears. He does those things. Those are those, that's truly the thing. What he's doing is just unfiltered, like bitching. And I, I just, I don't know. People think it's leadership whenever he tweets out something like attitude in all caps. And Chiefs fans go, yes, sir. And like stupid stuff like that. And then all it ends up being is just stupid, unbridled complaining well just one more thing for us to argue about on this podcast man well i do one thing is too is that okay so let's say he leaves the chiefs okay so he leaves the chiefs next year and signs with some team do you really think that he's going to just like all of a sudden like 
bold prediction here. If Tyron Matthew leaves the Chiefs, Chiefs fans will really start to hate Tyron Matthew because guess what? When he leaves and goes to another team, he'll start talking even more smack about Kansas City, like Steven Nelson did or some of these other players. Like I could see a realistic thing where, you know, he's sitting here talking about like, oh, well, some fan called me the N-word in the stand. So, um, you know, like it's a, it's a racist town or like I never liked this town or super, you know, you know, like I – I don't know, dude. I just, it's fun when it's your player, but whenever 31 other people, other fan bases think he's an absolute D bag, it's probably true. Oh, and I'm not disagreeing with you there, but, but I'll also say that there was a little bit of a difference between Steven Nelson's departure than there will be with Tyron Matthew. One of the biggest things being Steven Nelson doesn't have a defensive coordinator that's telling him to play out of position and do things that he can't do. Tyron Matthew can literally do almost everything on the football field at an elite level. So him being him leaving Steven Nelson, the worst part about it that he was mad about is that the defense played like shit and everybody made fun of him because he wasn't playing up to par. Where's he now? I don't know. I'm pretty sure the Steelers just cut him. So well, he's in Philly a, now, but Terry. Oh, oh yes, him. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, so overall let's, let's give out our game ball here to um this is something new we're going to try to do give out your game ball to the player that you felt had the best game that was the biggest part of the Chiefs win so a lot of people are going to say Daryl Williams and I think that he has a I think he should be an honorable mention but Travis Kelsey overcame an extreme amount of adversity came out the other side with a 99 yard game with eight catches like just insane injured three times the severity of those injuries cannot be determined at this time, but he played really, really well. And he gets my game ball. Joe Thune is a close second playing through an incredibly painful injury that I once had. What about you, man? Who's your, who are you giving it out to? Um, well, for me, I think I'm going to give mine to Juan Thornhill because he had an opportunity. He played 100% of the snaps and you know, there was a little bit of every time Juan Thornhill got on the field in the last couple of weeks, he struggled. And in this instance, he did not struggle. He had a very good game. Like I said, he's up to 11th in safety rankings, according to PFF. Um, he had a good game, you know, and that that was huge. I think that that meant a lot for that defense. I think him getting back on the field made Tyron Matthew happy. I think you know, he showed out in a big way. And, I, you know, that's a big deal to take advantage of the opportunity. So mine's going to Juan Thornhill. It's an excellent choice. Dude came in, did his job. One thing we want you to do, remember it, Chiefs players, if you're listening, do your job. That's it. Don't try to do anybody else's. As long as you're good, everybody will be fine. Real quick, before we move on to our next topic, um, tonight, this is Monday, so this might be at water underneath the bridge, but Tonight, the Texans released or are planning to release Whitney Merciless. He has a really big cap number, so I doubt any team's going to trade for him. A little bit different than the situation in New England. Um, but it, Aaron Wilson, who is an NFL reporter, has already reported, and Matt Verderams followed up, who is very good on the Chiefs. Um, has, they have both said that the Chiefs have strong interest in Whitney Merciless. Um, this would be a great pickup. Obviously, the Chiefs are really needing pass rush. It sounds like there's mutual interest there. So who knows? By the time this podcast is out, Whitney Merciless might be a Chief. Which, yay, finally some defensive line help. I know we're paying an absurd amount of money for people who aren't getting the job done. But 
bringing him in. I mean, there was a lot of trade talks, especially between us Arrowhead Live writers uh, about who we could add. Josh, who we're going to trade for? Josh Allen. He's defensive in the Jags. Like Whitney Merciless, maybe. If we can somehow get him on this team and not trade a pick for him and have him be a lower cap hit, dude, that's, we, that's having your cake and eating it too. That's your saving draft capital, which we desperately need to do. It's getting better right now and maybe even giving us a little bit more money we could trade for somebody else or, or make another move. Not that I think we should, but that would give us that, that flexibility. All right. So um, joining us this week, and this will be in the Friday edition of the podcast, we're going to have um, Aaron Ladd of KHSB 41 News join us. Uh, he is excellent. Great Twitter follower if you're not already following him. And one of the things I love about Aaron is that he asks really, really good questions um, in the media part of it. So we're going to get his thoughts on the Chiefs, kind of just where they're at, and also just kind of learn a little bit about what his day-to-day job is like. And so our final segment tonight is going to be a new segment that we're going to try. We are going to talk a little bit about Chiefs versus the Titans, but we're also going to do a little take four, which is going to be Christian and I are going to pick two NFL games to talk about or on the schedule that we feel like are significant that might impact the Chiefs or might impact the scope of the uh, how we view a team. And um, we'll pick two each, so that way we've got a total of four. And then we'll talk a little bit of Chiefs-Titans. We'll save Chiefs-Titans for last. Um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first, Christian? Uh, why don't you go ahead and go first? First off, I would like to bring up the fact that we picked a pretty miserable <laughs> week to do this because there are a lot of teams on by this week. So there's not a whole lot of juicy games on here. Um, one that I'm going to pick and might be a little surprising is going to be Eagles versus Raiders. Um, the Raiders came out and I, I watched almost the entire game of Raiders versus Broncos last week. And Derek Carr is still playing really well. The Raiders looked good. You know, who knows if it was the one week rally after a situation with John Gruden and that, that might come back to bite them. But, you know, I, I could completely see a scenario where the Raiders actually play better without Gruden, too. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. The Eagles are kind of a salty team. This is the type of game that the Raiders lose. It, um, you know, I could completely see that. It is in Las Vegas, so that helps the Raiders a little bit. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, that team's a little salty. The defense isn't terrible. I could completely see the Raiders losing this game. They come out, win this game. You start feeling like, you know, it's a three-team race in the AFC West, that they're not out of the picture yet, like some of us thought they might be with John Gruden. Um, What about you? So my first game is going to be the Browns-Broncos game, which is actually this Thursday night. This is going to be, I mean, I I say this every week. This is when you got to win. But I really feel like if the – if the Broncos are who they think they are, not who I think they are, but who they think they are, they have to beat the Browns. I mean, the Browns are tore down. Baker Mayfield injuries. Their defense is God awful. One of, one of the worst defenses in the league, the Browns. And Jarvis Landry on IR, who knows if he's coming back. Kareem Hunt is injured. Nick Chubb is hurt. Like the Broncos have to win this game if they want to be, you know, in the running for the AFC West. And I think they have a pretty good shot. So the Browns also, this is a very important game for them. They are not doing super well in the standings. If I, if I'm correct, and I'll look it up real quick, just to make sure that I am, they are second to last in their division tied with the Steelers. So this, 
they they can't lose very many more of these AFC West or any games if they want to make it to the postseason. And I think that if you ask a Browns fan, getting bounced as the wild card is not how they expected this season to go. So very important game for both teams rooting for the Browns. I am the other game I'm going to pick is kind of a low key underrated game is going to be Bengals versus Ravens. Uh, Bengals have had a really good start to the season. There's some really encouraging signs going on with Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase is a breakout wide receiver at this point. And, you know, we've well documented that the Ravens at times look like the best team in the NFL and at times look like the luckiest team in the NFL. Um, this, you know, it's a division game. The bank, the two teams know each other really well. It'd be great if the Bengals could hang a loss on the Ravens for the chiefs sake, because the Ravens obviously have a game up on the chiefs after beating them. And then the chiefs play the Bengals later in the year. So they could really kind of control their own fate there. Additionally, I feel like there are many divisions in the football right now that are really the face of the division is changing. You know, Big Ben used to run the AFC North and now it's Lamar Jackson's division. And this is, you know, kind of like Justin Herbert going into Arrowhead and beating Patrick Mahomes really made it official. I'll see it when I believe it. Like Patrick Mahomes said, you know, if he runs in there and Joe Burrow and he goes in and beats Baltimore, uh, beat Lamar in his house, you know, that's, that's a huge statement and they've got the firepower to do it. So that'll be exciting. I think that'll be a good game. Um, that game is being – that's a noon game on Sunday. So that might be um, a game you might want to have on the other screen as the Chiefs play the Titans. Yeah, you actually stole that. That was going to be the one that I made. But I do have another one in reserve, so just don't worry about it. I have the Panthers-Giants game, and not because I think it's going to be a great game, but I think because this is going to tee up the Chiefs versus Giants next week, that game. And if the Giants come out here and beat a pretty good Panthers team, I know they're down Christian McCaffrey for the what seems like the millionth time in the past three seasons, but their defense is really, really good. Um, Brett Coleman, a guy I, I like to watch all of his film review stuff on YouTube, stuff like that. He went through and, and diagnosed this Panthers defense and how well that they have played. And it's pretty outstanding to see how well their run defense is and, and how good their, their past defense and, and even their offense has been over this past year or this past season. I think if the Giants can come out and make a statement game that, hey, I know we're in the NFC least, but we're not going away. This is, this is our season. Daniel Jones, he might not be the best. Our offensive line might not be the greatest. Uh, signing Kenny Galladay to a massive contract maybe wasn't the best idea. Okay, but we're not the worst team in the division and I believe that's what the standings suggest right now. So I think that if they come out, they have a statement game. They beat these Panthers, who are a good football team, even though they're three and three. They might be a problem for the Chiefs next week. And, and having that confidence coming into an away game, this, this seems like a game that the Chiefs – I mean, I had this when we did our uh, preseason you know, standings for the Chiefs. I had this as one of our losses. Like, not because I thought the Giants were a great game, but because or the Giants were a great team, but because this seems like one of those, oh, we're just going to phone it in this game. They're the last in the division there, but you know, we haven't played them at all. So we don't really know any of their tendencies. I, I could see them coming out and making a statement, making it hard on the chiefs next week. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, especially when they've got the MVP, Daniel Jones, it's, it's going to be a rough go for the chiefs. No doubt. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> 
All right, Chiefs Titans. The Titans are playing right now as we speak. They currently lead the Bills 17-13, um, but we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, you know, I this game's tricky. The, you know, the Chiefs lost to the Titans in Nashville. This game's being played in Nashville. They lost in 20, 2019, which was kind of like the watershed moment for that team, honestly. Um, it was kind of it was the last loss they had in 20 in 2019, 2020 season. Um you know, we don't we don't need to state the obvious. Derrick Henry's good. The Chiefs are going to need to stop him. But what do you what do you think is at risk here for the Chiefs? Well, again, coming into this game, like I said, I know I say this every week. I know I'm a broken record, but like this is a must-win game. You're coming in. The Titans defense isn't good. They're not a good defense. The offense is very one-dimensional. And I know play action works. I know that. Play action is, is one of the most fundamental, I don't know what you'd even call it, play play designs in the NFL. We saw it work last week with the Chiefs. We know that they're going to run play action. Derrick Henry, it, he has to be slowed down however we want to do it, whether we run more base. But it, it, we just – we got to stop the run. We got This has to be a win. We can't turn the ball over. It, I say that every week, though. So hopefully this week I'll be right. Yeah, um, I, I I think so as well. I think that another thing is is that you know the the Titans run AJ Brown and Julio Jones out there, but neither one of them have really had a good game this year. So the Chiefs really do not need to be the cure all there. Um, Ryan Tannehill has seemed to struggle a little bit since Arthur Smith has left. Um, the scheme just isn't quite what it was back then. Um, you know, I I think for for me the big thing is that. The Chiefs just need to take advantage of this defense. It's still not a good defense. Um, it's you know it may have improved slightly. Taylor Luan left this game and appears to be very injured. So maybe this is a Chris Jones game. Maybe he comes back healthy. I think that the Chiefs you know kind of waited on Charvarius Ward and Chris Jones give them another week because they knew this was going to be a big test. But yeah, I mean this game this game's super crucial because it puts the Chiefs back at a winning record if they win at four and three. And I mean, this is a stretch that the Chiefs have to go and get. You know, they need the they need the wins here for against the Giants. They need the win against the Titans. They needed the win against Washington football team. Then you're five and three, and Green Bay's coming to town, and that'll be a great test for them. So I, I think that there's a lot on the line. They kind of are all must wins at this point. It feels like so until they kind of get back in the win column, but. You know they're just they're just a game behind the Chargers at this point. So you you really can see a situation where things start turning up, or turning the arrow starts pointing up in a must win game for the Chiefs. Yeah, and and you said it perfectly well. That that Green Bay game is going to be a measuring stick for this team. Like I think that it will be safe to say that the outcome of that game will indicate how the Chiefs the rest of their season is going to go. We got two. I don't want to say easy games because no game is an easy game when the defense has played as poorly as it has, but you're going up against the Titans and you're going up against the giants. And I know I said the giants could be a problem. I don't think they're going to win that game, but let's get this defense another step in the right direction. We got, we got two weeks to make some more improvements. Maybe Nick Bolton plays more of the red dot on defense, the green dot where he's, you know, calling everything. Maybe Hitchens comes back. Willie Gay sees more time. There are plenty of things we need to clean up before that time. But once we get there, this 
I mean, it, we, we got to compete when we get to that point. It, it, that's going to be an extremely important game. Agreed. Well, guys, it's been great. Um, I think, you know, we've got some really good content here as far as the Chiefs go, um, NFL headlines as well. Should be a great week of football. Um, you know, we're looking forward to hopefully the Chiefs getting back to being a winning football team. We appreciate you guys listening as always. Um, you can find me at Price A. Carter on Twitter and you can follow Christian at CBreezy underscore edit on Twitter. Perfect. Amazing. Yes, absolutely. Um, thanks as always for listening to Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Yep. See you guys later.